Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we sit down to spoil your favorite games and the occasional movie. With our red and white hats turned backwards, our fingers and hands nestled comfortably in our finger gloves, and our backpacks resting upon our shoulders, we are racing towards our favorite professor's house to grab our brand new friend. With a Pokeball in our hand, we are assembling today to discuss one of the most classic games of all time that has launched a revolution around the world. Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow. But before we launch into the introductions and get into the episode, just a few quick reminders. If this is your first time here and you're loving the show, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to hear more from us, head over to SoreChomp.com where we have more podcasts, written reviews of the newest titles, a merch store for some beautiful threads, and plenty more. Lastly, if you want to support us so we can continue to make wonderful content such as this, please consider heading over to Patreon.com SoreChomp where you will find a plethora of tiers to get additional and exclusive content, such as access to a private Discord and Instagram, exclusive podcasts, and more. Now, with the admin out of the way, let me introduce you to the crew that will be joining me today. First, we have the cute nurse with the white hat, the white apron, and the pink collared shirt, Nurse Joshua Fowler. Josh, how are you doing today? Pretty good, but how are you feeling? You've been getting enough to eat, getting <laughs> enough sleep. Yeah, um, you know, running running along these routes has me a little bit tuckered out, but not too bad. You not make sure bad. you get enough rest, hon. <laughs> you make a good matronly figure. I don't mean physically speaking. I mean the bedside manner. You don't have the hips for that, Josh. I'm sorry. No, no. It's a shame. If only I had that. The implants haven't taken hold yet. (laughs) That pokedonkadonk. I regret saying that. I regret saying that. I regret saying that. (laughs) I do. I really do. But no. Glad you're that here, chancy Nurse Josh. Uh, <laughs> that, ch- <laughs> that chancy ass. Um, we're also joined today by a man with a horseshoe hairdo and a profession of selling Magikarp, Morgan Barnes. Morgan, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm not sure what the horseshoe hairdo is in reference to. Uh, is there someone in the game that has a horseshoe haircut and sells Magikarp? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. 
Yeah, like oh. it's a guy who's balding on the top and just has the hair on the sides. Oh, okay. Well, that would be an interesting hairstyle. Um, as opposed to just being shaved all the way. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I would say if I'm catching the Magikarps because I love fishing, then I'm okay with that, barring the haircut. Uh, I think I can live with that. Um, also, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that, uh, unfortunately, one doesn't go without the other. You don't have a choice. Okay, I guess that's the you price of You do have the, the option of wearing one of those little kind of dock worker beanies. Yes, now that I can get behind. Side uh, and and yes, I think that the nurse thing works for Josh because he would always battle us with the Blissey, and you always see Chanseys and Blisseys around those damn nurses. Yep. So. Yeah. No. No. I'm absolutely a. Uh, health focused just like just destroy your spirit like i know this shit out of you on our left <laughs> for, for most of you guys i just used a sweeper and uh and demolished you in our last tournament but since rich was new and, and he needed to learn his place i don't know i don't know if you noticed this but i chose a wall <laughs> that he literally could not damage and just I killed one of his Pokemon and then I won by default by just forcing him to sit there and attack a wall he could do nothing to because somebody needs to teach him yeah thanks for uh, thanks for bringing up the start to one of the worst years of my life which was 2020 (laughs) Josh thank you very much Um, appreciate you uh, when I broke Shay's heart, you know, you talk whenever about... I need a confidence booster, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you very much for being here, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Glad you're here. No, my pleasure. And of course, I for people that don't I'm know, the... oh, go I ahead. was going to say, just, I have to, in, th- in theme, I have a glowing Blastoise behind me, so the mood is set. In fact, for this very special podcast, Uh-oh. Pokemon Red and Blue, I'm going to light mine blue, baby. Ooh, look at that. Change the color. Ooh. The mood has been struck. I'm so mm. happy we're doing this live on Blue Twitch. Blue is oh, the right it. choice, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. And of course, I'm the eccentric gentleman of the Pokemon fan club who is far too obsessed with Growlithe and Arcanine, yep. Shay Layton. How you doing, Shay? True. Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Literally the Poke fan. No problem. You know, when you did that on the camera, Shay, you it's looked true. like you were looking at your Growlithe in the background, like it was talking to you. Because, um, yes, it you was do talking actually have a Growlithe. Yeah, I was not, like, talking to that? Growlithe. In, in fact, Shay has a Growlithe. I have a Blastoise. Josh, where's your Pokemon-themed background? You're breaking my heart here. Don't think I have a He's Pokemon around, over like, there. there something? Actually, I'm looking over at my stuff, and my kid was messing with all He's my He's just going to untie He's going to take out his bag of garbage from his garbage can. <laughs> um, hey, look, look, it's a Garbodor. Hey, look. Yeah. Look, guys. I, I got a Trubbish. I got, I got, a, I got a Garbodor. You got a Trubbish. <laughs> um, there you go, Thimene. Yeah, no, I got a trash can right here. Um, no, but I'm looking over there, and uh, my kid has knocked over a few of my... Uh, I've got a Murloc over there. I'm gonna have to uh, to reset because apparently he's uh, he was, he's been playing with that Murloc, and uh, yeah, it was just actually the Josh temptation was too much. Team. The temptation Garbodor was too much. is not red and blue. How dare you? This is red and blue. We're here to talk about today, Josh. Should I pick Could another you? garbage one? Hey, look! Actually, red, blue, hey, and look. yellow. 
It's a Blastoise. I've got a Blastoise. <laughs> uh, Josh held up his garbage can for that one. And then Morgan panned into the camera. Um, unfortunately, too bad this show is not live. <laughs> it was the same visual aid as the first um, joke. But, yeah, let's... Uh... <laughs> yep. It was good. I enjoyed that. But uh... let's get into it. So from this point on, as is customary, there will be spoilers. If you somehow haven't played Red, Blue, or Yellow, and you don't want the story spoiled for you... Go get lost in the wonderful world of Pokemon and come back when you've finished catching them all. But now, turn the lights down low, slip into something more comfortable, and sip on a nice tasty beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. The game starts with you taking control of Red as he is setting out to acquire his first Pokemon and embark on an adventure. He says goodbye to his mother and heads to Professor Oak's lab. He isn't there, so Red leaves Pallet Town. Professor Oak stops Red and brings him to the lab. In Red and Blue, you have the choice between three starter Pokemon, Charmander, the fire Pokemon, Squirtle, the water Pokemon, or Bulbasaur, the grass Pokemon. In Yellow, you are given Pikachu an electric Pokemon. And as a quick aside, this is one of the major notable differences between Red, Blue, and Yellow. Mm -hmm. As you go to leave, Gary, Professor Oak's grandson, challenges you to a duel. After you, fingers crossed, hopefully win, Gary runs off through the first route, and you follow suit. Gentlemen, I have a simple question for you to get us started. And anyone can feel free to chime in on this one. Is this one of the best intros to a video game ever? Or is this one of the best intros to a video game ever? <laughs> You're funny. Um, I will say that, yeah, there's not a lot of games thematically that allow you just a choice right at the beginning. Now, technically, it sort of is in the spirit of any RPG that lets you customize a character right from the beginning or something like that, where before you even really play the game, you're doing something to sort of divine, um, I'm sorry, define your personality or what will make your experience more unique. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, because the premise is so unique and right at the beginning, it allows you to have choice. Um, you immediately feel more invested in the, in, in your story. And I think that's very important, even being such a simplistic yeah. You know, game. Yeah, no, I absolutely love the intro to this game because of that. Because it's you're not there's no character creation in Pokemon in the in the first one. Um, like it, it's these days, yes, you just you you create your own trainer. Um, but originally, you're just you're playing as Ash with Red because they you know, um, and originally, but it it's Ash for for all intents and purposes as far as the continuity goes later on, but. Um, yeah, the character himself doesn't mad doesn't matter. It's your choices you make as a trainer that matter, and I feel like they do a really good job in the intro to this first game of getting that across. Like you're playing more or less as yourself. Um, these choices you're making 
are your choices. Like the character is essentially just a cipher. Like there's 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 nothing to him. He's very much like in a lot of ways early Link was a lot of the early Nintendo characters. Um but they get this idea across of yeah, your choices do matter by allowing you to pick which Pokemon you want to be your starter in the in the first game. And that's 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 a running running thing going forward in the series. But it especially in especially in red and blue at the beginning, just nails down this idea so well. And it, it makes you understand, like, yeah. okay, you, you're, you're building a team here. Like, you, your choices matter. Um, and, yeah, like, it's it's just one of the most memorable intros of a game of all time. Like, I, I still have warm memories about picking my first Pokemon and starting off on my adventure because of the way everything is framed Yeah, in this really simple Game Boy game from long ago. It's just... It's so expertly done to to give you this feeling of heading out on an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. I when I was writing the script for this, I just was immediately washed over with overwhelming feelings of nostalgia, which obviously prompts this intro so highly for me, but also I was just thinking about how how well paced the intro is there's no fluff and it really gets you into the world so well where your mother uh the mother for red is basically like hey you're going off on your own adventure good luck be safe i'm always here for you and then you just go off to find the professor to get your first pokemon and then yeah, and it just takes off from there. And it's it's so like that intro is so well crafted to get you into the world of Pokemon. And I yeah. couldn't think off the like it, off the top of my head, no. If I sat down and thought about it, I would probably find some intros to video games comparable. But this is for me one of the strongest intros to a video game ever. Like it 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 sets you into the world so well, mm-hmm. so quickly, and it gets you invested almost immediately. Yeah. And what more do you want from an RPG? Yeah, so. it does such an excellent job. I Unrelated but related, I feel like a lot of other games have kind of tried to do the same thing um, in one way or another. Like, thinking back, like Kingdom Hearts does this. With the the idea of like oh you're you're going off in this adventure you're you're curious what's going on, and your mom like calls you to dinner, and you're and you're not there in the first game. Your mom, it's not a thing. That's not a plot point that shows up literally any point later on in the entire series. But they wanted to get this idea of you going off on an adventure, so they just they put literally one scene right. of your mom calling you to dinner and you not being there in order to try to yeah. kind of get the same thing, and it never comes up again. At all later on in the series, like ostensibly, your mom has been looking for you for the last fifteen years, um, still waiting for you to come to dinner. But it doesn't matter because it's not a part of the story, um, because it worked so well in this game that people kind of want to continue to do similar ideas. Right? Yeah. They um. Yeah. Such a good intro. 
Um, oh, good. Oh, I was just gonna say that one interesting thing I was thinking about was that they. It's hard to tread this balance, but it's just sort of because of the subject matter that they show you that the world is to some degree dangerous because when you walk, just walking in the grass. They stop you and say, you need a Pokemon for protection. But you don't necessarily feel like you're going to die. But you do feel like there's a level of danger there if you do not have a Pokemon for protection. As if, like, generally mm-hmm. just leaving your town in this world, you need to have a Pokemon. That's like a rite of passage. Like, you need a Pokemon. Uh, which I always thought was interesting as a kid because you can just relate to that concept of, well, I'm off on an adventure. I'm a kid. But, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can't go anywhere in this world unless you have Pokemon. To back your to back you up, so <laughs> mm-hmm. it's interesting. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of uh, being able to leave your town, let's get back into the story because that's where we're going next. After making it through Route One fairly unimpeded, Red ends up in Viridian City. He goes into his first Poké Center to heal his Pokémon and learns the PC system. He also goes to his first Pokemart to buy healing items and Pokeballs. Red is given a parcel at the Pokemart to deliver to Professor Oak back in Pallet Town. Red goes back to deliver the package and visits Gary's sister to receive the town map. He heads back to Viridian City. He passes through the city and Route 2 and makes his way to Viridian Forest, where he can catch more Pokemon and battle a few trainers. After exiting the forest, he enters Pewter City where he visits the Science Museum. The main attraction here is the Pewter City Gym, a rock-type gym. Red challenges and defeats Brock, winning his first batch. The process of challenging a gym and defeating the leader has been a long-standing tradition of Pokemon games and the anime series. Morgan, can you reflect on this system and what it's meant to you over the years? I mean, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the anime because just in general, most kids who grew up with Pokemon our age grew up with the anime as well. And the anime was sort of spelling out the details of what was a very basic story in the game. I mean, the story was in the game Mm -hmm. was, I want to be the best Pokemon trainer. I will beat all the gyms and then I'll be the best. That was pretty much it. Um, There was some Team Rocket stuff involved, obviously, but you know what I mean? And that was it. But the, the TV show fleshed that out. So seeing Brock and all those characters in that first area was just like just a magical thing because I had seen the TV show before I played the game. I don't know if you guys did that too, but the TV show for me came before the game. So I was doing a lot of like, ooh, association kind of stuff, which which was cool. So instead of just seeing Brock, I saw Brock from the TV show and I was sort mm. of filling in all of that with my mind. It's a very specific yeah. thing because I can't think of a lot of games that I play now and I'm like, oh, I know this person because I watched the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm one of the few weirdos who never watched the show until like way later. Um, really? Oh. I like I played these games right when they came out because I was just really excited about it. I'd been playing the cards for a while, playing the card game, um, mm-hmm. and like, okay, I I really want to play this game because um, I at the time did not really have money for a console. Um, talked about this before a little bit but like weird situation where like my family was in a position where like my dad needed a computer for work so i had a computer 
and it was able to play games on that just because we had it around the house. But it wasn't because, like, oh, we just really need to, like, we're super into games. We're going to, you know, it's a priority. It was more like, this thing is here for my dad's work. Um, let's find a way to, you know, f- force some games to work on it. Um, and that was kind of my, my console gaming at the point. And I just didn't have money until I was able to uh, go so get... So you got Pokemon you know, like, on, the, on the computer? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, okay. I didn't. We. I did not have a lot of console games until I was able to go out and like buy my own console when I was able to get like, you know, odd jobs as a kid, um, and finally buy a oh, uh, yes. an N64. Yes. So, uh, but at the time, I had a I had a hand me down, original gigantic, <laughs> um, yeah. Game Boy, that I uh, got from one of my cousins. Um, those things are bricks. And, uh, because of that, I was able to play this game when it came out. And I was, like I said, I was really stoked because I'd been playing the card game with, with friends and whatnot. And like, it was such a big deal to, uh, to play Pokemon. Um, and so like, because of that, I hadn't really seen, I like the game was the world to me at that point. So I wasn't really putting the anime on top of it as far as like the way I was imagining it in my mind. Um, yeah. Which I, I'm I, jealous I feel like ways, was yeah. oddly unique because it was such a zeitgeist at the time. Like everyone was experiencing all of Pokemon at the time. And yeah. I, you know, we didn't have cable. We couldn't afford cable. Um, I had no idea what this anime thing was. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, building the world in my mind as I was playing through. And I feel like it works on that level, too, um, without having to have a framework to make it all work. Um, yeah. Long, long yeah, way to it, get there, it's, but it's, it's kind of... interesting to think... <laughs> I understand. I understand. No, it's like, back in the day, I remember... Um, I remember to this day... I, uh, I was hanging out with my friend at his house and he pulls out Pokemon cards and I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's Pokemon. I'm like, and he's like, you don't know what Pokemon is? I was like, no, I don't know what Pokemon is. And he's like, it's just like, it's a really famous thing. And he sat down and kind of explained it to me, showed me all of his cards and stuff. And I was like, this looks really cool. I was like, how have I not heard of this before? And he gave me a few of his extra cards and then I took them home and I showed my, my mother and my father. I'm like, dude, look at this cool ass shit. Like these Pokemon <laughs> cards. Like I want, I want some of these. And, um, that was about the time that my parents were, uh, going through their divorce. And, um, so I didn't have a lot, they didn't have a lot of money. Uh, cause you know, they're going through that whole proceedings and everything. And I, I remember that the cards were kind of my first exposure to Pokemon, but then, my mother bought me Pokemon Blue um, for my Game Boy Color. And, yeah, I just I got really, really into Pokemon right off the bat when, when I got that game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch the anime until a little bit after that. But, yeah, the, the gyms were such, a, which are, were such an interesting thing. And it was only reinforced by the anime, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to mention the anime here. Because... When you played it in game, like you got, you get 
snippets of the personality of the characters. But mm-hmm. when you watch the anime, Brock was such a lively character. He's a pervert. And some of the other gym leaders, <laughs> which we'll talk about here shortly. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, we're such vibrant and in detailed characters that, mm-hmm. granted, the game with its limitations could only show so much of that. And that's the benefit of something like an anime is to be able to go deeper on those things. Uh, but the, 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 the gyms yeah. are, are always such a pivotal part of the game because a, it's kind of obviously from mechanics purposes, it's who you're going to be fighting and who you need to base your team off of. But also just the way that they're constructed is so fascinating as well, especially as you start to get into the, some of the newer games, some of the, the mazes and puzzles that they integrate into their gyms yeah. are so fascinating and how they correlate to the, the Pokemon type that you're about to be fighting, yeah. which is really fun as well. And you even look at something like uh, sword and shield and some of the ways or even sun and moon and some of the ways they've played with some of the gyms um, in those games is really fascinating. Like I still remember in sword and shield when you're facing off, um, I believe it's the fairy type when you just go into a back alley and you're fighting all these like punk rockers uh, in an alleyway, and that's the quote-unquote gym. It's cool the way that they've been able to make that a mainstay in their their series, yet still play around with it in fun and, um, I don't want to say interesting, fun and unique ways. Mm-hmm. So for me, they're such a big part of the game, and um, I think that's part of the reason why I didn't like Sun and Moon as much was because they kind of did something drastically different which wasn't a bad thing it just it just went to show that even though pokemon is very formulaic over the years that some of those things it's hard to deviate from and gyms i think is one of those yeah and that's i kind of feel bad for them in a way because um the two brief things i want to say before i forget because they're pretty big uh I tried to summon a lot of classic memories that were important to me for the show. One was, I guess I was a late bloomer because I didn't get Pokemon with for me until I had a Game Boy Color, um, mm. which is weird because I remember, you know, when you're a kid, you can't just buy games because you don't have any money. That's so. literally what I just said, too. <laughs> well, well, what I'm saying, yes, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but I guess what I was saying is that, like, I had spent so much time watching the TV show up until then, and I, but I had to wait till my birthday to get it and yes i also mm. got a game boy color with mine so we weren't we didn't have the bricks um uh, which is nice because we had better quality visuals and it was much slimmer and i but 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 my yeah, visuals were the was same it but... was um more or less other a than little, little crisper maybe i don't remember i thought it was the, like a little the... crisper the, the color had a really game cool game thing where you could pick Whenever a game was starting, you could hit up, down, left, or right to pick which palette you wanted to use. And then mm. on top of that, you could be like, B, up, down, left, right, to pick another set of palettes to use instead of just the plain green. Um, yes. The uh, the way that worked better was because since the original was based off of, you know, running on a ton of double A's and this thing will, will run until they're completely, completely dead. Even if it's not optimal at that point, um, that thing had a contrast slider, which you would have to constantly adjust on the original game boy. 
because as the battery started running out, you need to like turn it up, turn up the contrast more and more as the batteries yes. got lower and lower for it to maintain the same image. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like you didn't have to fight that on the, yes. uh, on the color. Um, that's true. But other than that, it was the same visuals, just, uh, basically the not, same with, thing. not with that green, uh, um, LCD screen going on there. Yes. The, um, but my larger point was just to put it in the, in this perspective of phenomenon, almost like a Fortnite. I didn't get that so oh, yeah. much later on. And people were still like, I was late to Pokemon and it, people were still obsessed with it. It was like, still it was big. Still yeah. No, yeah. that the it original was... gold or not gold, but the original red and blue games were huge. They did not die down for years. Like, I feel like crazy. red and blue was a bigger deal through the entire second generation than the second generation. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know how to, I just don't know on that. But it's interesting to think about just how big those games were and how long kids at school were playing them and talking about them and how it just kept fueling itself. It was, um, and mm. then, yeah, very succinctly to answer your question, Shay, I think that the gyms just emphasize more personality driven stuff like picking your own Pokemon because like you were saying you associate Pokemon with people like Brock is, has rock Pokemon and his gym looks like that so it's like these people who have found their calling in this world and become gym leaders they express their personality and their favorite Pokemon through their gym and I, it's just more personality based stuff which I think is cool yeah I actually it kind of relates to what we were talking on the chomp cast earlier today um, it'll kind of be uh, weird to reference that uh, as this is when we're recording it it'll drop much later but we're talking about um, should games be didactic and I think one of the things that this game kind of goes out of its way to teach you is that you should just find your passion find out who you are and then just be that I think mm-hmm. that's such a big thing about the gyms as well Morgan and I think that's a yeah. really really good point yeah um, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely like one the combat in Pokemon games is not particularly hard on the, on the, uh, like PVE side. Like there's a whole lot going on as far as like, if you're battling your friends or whatever, but you can beat the game with basically anything. And I feel like the game reinforces that over and over again. Like this idea of pick, pick the Pokemon that you personally identify with and it will work out um and the game is kind of balanced around that little, idea but it'll yeah. work <laughs> yeah you can make literally anything work if you if you really want to uh like some certain things are going to be easier for you yes but you don't you don't need to compromise you know the team you want to build in order to get through this game um well, it's yes, funny in regards- I, it, it reinforces that through through the way the gameplay is balanced and a lot of the story beats so yeah it's funny in regards to what shay was saying as well josh because like you don't really think about it as a kid but it's like subconsciously encouraging you to because you're like a kid who's going up against these incredible odds to basically be the best in the world and it seems like a very doable task and it's almost like subconsciously training you at a young childlike age that you can pursue your you know difficult things and mm-hmm. it's it's interesting when you think about it though i guess all video a lot of video games you could say that about right like in zelda if you played it as a kid you start off you conquer all these difficult dungeons but there's something about literally being a kid in the game and having your mom say good luck you know it's just like 
and then you and go yet do conquer it. it. And then mm-hmm. you're literally like the best, you're like a seven year old in the elite four. You're like, I don't know how old you are, but you know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I feel like the game kind of reinforces that from beginning to end with, with especially earlier on, like the first, yeah. the first gym. Yeah. And that's um, like, since we're talking about gyms, he has like two Pokemon. You've got to beat two Pokemon. So you can literally pick anything. If you've got a full party, you'll just, you'll grind your way through it just by virtue of having more Pokemon than the gym leader. Um, and they, just, they, they allow you to just feel this freedom to, to, you know, choose the way you want to go about doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. The gyms I mean they they have to be a mainstay at this point. I couldn't imagine a Pokemon game without them to be honest with you. To put it simply. Yeah. But let's hop back in. We have got a lot of story left to go, so let's <laughs> let's just get right through the next section. Red makes his way through Route 3. I keep saying Route and Route. I can't decide how I want to say it today. I'm going to go Route. We're going to stay on Route. They both work. Red makes his way through Route 3 (laughs) to Mount Moon. There, Red acquires a fossil that will later turn into a Pokemon. In the yellow version, this is where you meet Team Rocket, a nefarious group that exploits Pokemon for the first time. After Red quickly moves through Route 4 on the opposite side of Mount Moon, he arrives in Cerulean City, where he is trapped until he defeats the gym leader. He walks around the town to talk to the locals. He finds a bike shop, but he can't afford the asking price of one million. If you are playing yellow and your Pikachu likes you, you can get a Bulbasaur from a woman who nurses sick Pokemon. Red battles and defeats Gary again, who vows to beat him the next time that him and Red see each other. Red also comes across a burglarized home but he can do nothing there because it is being guarded by a police officer. There is a cave that Red can't access because it is blocked by a man. And we'll come to that a little bit later. Red finally goes in to challenge Misty in the water gym. After defeating her, Red goes to Route 24 and 25 to test his mettle to battle a bunch of trainers. So when you were younger, Josh, did the process of challenging and battling multiple trainers give you a feeling of growing stronger as a trainer and as a person, or was it just kind of like a part of the game for you? Hmm. I, I feel like the gym itself was more just part of a thing I had to overcome here than essential to the the thing the thing i have the strongest memories of from this area is this is the this is the part of the game where you can get an abra and uh abra will teleport away from you at that any chance bitch, it gets that abra yeah and uh the game because of that like you've kind of you've gotten this idea of okay i've got to wear down these Pokemon and catch them when they're weak or whatever. And the Abra will teleport away from you. Cause that's the, that's literally the only ability that Abras know at this level. Um, and it's and so, so cool you, because you come across it and you're like, Oh, that Pokemon looks cool. And then it just runs away and you're like, 
what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So you have to rethink a lot of ideas at this point in the game. Like, yeah. okay, let's just play the numbers game. As soon as I see an Abra, let's throw a Pokeball at it and hope eventually I, I am able to catch one. Um, and so I feel like this area, because of because of the Abra, made me rethink a lot of the rules I had learned at that point. Like, maybe they're not rules. Like, they're just ideas I gave myself. Like, I, I've got to yeah. do it this way. And it's it's weird how a single Pokemon encounter can make me rethink how I've considered a game as a whole at this point. Just, a, like, a single enemy encounter. Um, because, like, personally at that point, I'd been, up until this point, I'd been trying to catch everything. Because... Mm-hmm. As a framing device, the game kind of gives you this idea of, all right, go out in the world. You want to be the, um, you want to eventually beat the Elite Four and and become the the champion. But as an excuse to go do that, you're given this idea, you know, this this job of completing a Pokedex. And so at that point, I've been trying to catch everything. So this Abra shows up and then teleports away. And it makes me rethink the way I've been catching Pokemon. Like, okay, maybe some of these I'm going to have to play the numbers with. Um, and so yeah. this this particular section of the game, I have just the strongest memories about Abra. Um, out of everything else going on there, because it made me rethink assumptions I'd made about how the game works and about... Um, it's... It's 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 bizarre. Like I to this day, I have memories of my first time playing through it, um, because of one random enemy encounter, and that's bizarre that a game is able to leave such a strong impression with something like that. Um, that's cool though. But yeah, that's that's kind of that was at least in my mind the thing that kind of made me you know, like really think about how the story was going to continue going forward at that point. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's cool that you still have that vivid memory. Morgan, do you have something similar or was like the, like I, like the, the question of trainers, did you feel like that was building you up or was that just a part of the process for you? It was vital to my gaming growth as a human being, I think, <laughs> uh, as a nerd, I would just say, because it was baby's first RPG. So it was like, wow, not hmm. that hard. You know what I mean? It was like the first sort of before I played a Final Fantasy game or anything like that, I played, I'm pretty sure I played this. And it was just basically basic stats, basic move types, you know, use water against fire, but you have levels. I, I've never played, I'd never played like a, a true RPG before that. So it was, I think for me and a lot of kids who played it young, it was like, wow, RPGs are something I really like. Like maybe I had a bad association out them about them, or maybe I didn't really understand them, but it was like a very accessible RPG, but it was still grindy and you grind the shit out of stuff. You know, it was, uh, you're learning types and levels and st- statistics and stuff. So yeah, it was like, for me, it was baby's first RPG, which I think is cool. And uh, so I grew stronger in in that way, and it's very important. So yeah, first RPG for me I can think of, where I was like leveling up and growing and stats and stuff like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's 
it's interesting to kind of reflect back on that where um nowadays we see it as being arduous having to build yourself up from trainers in a pokemon game because it's very grindy which is i mean it's a completely valid opinion but at the time obviously with gaming being where it was it very much felt like the process of developing a skill for something um when you were facing trainers you were becoming more in touch with the pokemon you were using there weren't as many guides out there as there are now Mm -hmm. where you can just go on um bulbapedia or was it smogan is that what it's called smogan yeah Spacing the name, just the That's physical guide they had Where to buy. You, just, you go yeah, on you these got, guides. You and, got Bulbapedia and Smogon and Cerebi.net. Yeah, all you have you all, all of them. You have all these guides and all these YouTube videos telling you how to play a certain Pokemon and what sets to play. Whereas, and I'm not trying to sound like old head here, even though I do a little bit inevitably, and that's fine. Where when you when these games first came out you had to figure out all these strategies by yourself and the only way to do that was to play the game a lot so by fighting all of these trainers facing off against all these trainers you figured out okay well i'm really good with these pokemon these pokemon are synergistic with each other uh these moves work well these moves don't work well uh this is what i need to improve in my team and as a player it really was that kind of process. And obviously at that age, I wasn't quite thinking at that depth, but I was thinking along those lines. And so, yeah, it very much made me, like Morgan is saying, a, a much better um, player as a video game player mm. with RPGs because then I started having to think about these more complex systems and start micromanaging different things which is something that obviously is very big uh, in those games. And yeah, I relate it to something where it's like, for me, um, learning an instrument. I've been practicing my drum rudiments almost every day now, and I'm very slowly trying to learn songs that I like on guitar, where I put a little bit of time into it each day, and it's going to take a long time to get really good um, at playing what I want to play. And it's kind of similar to this. You fight these trainers... And at the very beginning, you see a lot of growth as a trainer. And then in the middle, you have, you're making slow incremental improvements until you start becoming a master at what you're doing. Yeah. You become a master of whatever Pokemon you're pair, pairing yourself with. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I saw it very much as the process of getting better and growing stronger as a trainer and as a gamer. It's, it's weird because I think, ironically, because what we talked about earlier that as far as like putting things subconsciously into a child's mind, positive things, this Pokemon might be one of the most didactic games ever. Now that I'm thinking about it, because you have that that's, and then you also have Gary that you mentioned, which even though he's your rival and your friend and you kick his ass at the end of the day, he's sort of like a dick, but then he's just like, you know what? A great, a great battle is all that matters. You know, let's be friends. Like, it's like he was, it's like everything in this game is like wrapped up in some sort of subconscious, like, you know, when you get into a battle in life, you should always shake hands and be good friends afterwards because it's all in good fun. Sportsmanship being a thing. Yeah, sportsmanship and shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's so many things wrapped in this game because it was very clearly marketed to kids. Um, that, that I'm, that are just kind of wrapped in there that I think are interesting because. Yeah. Whether or not 
I'm not saying it's like the first time in your life you've heard about sportsmanship or anything because you, we probably all had thought about it, but it's interesting that they were really, you know, Nintendo games have always been sort of about family values. So almost as a company, they're didactic to some degree yeah. in that way. Yeah, kind of in some ways you could look at it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's jump back in. Let's jump back into the story. At the end of Route 25, Red helps a man who gives him a ticket for the SS Anne. Red returns to Cerulean City and is able to access the burglarized house. He defeats and kicks out a Team Rocket member. He exits the back of the house to Route 5, where he learns of the daycare center, a place where his Pokemon can be supervised and leveled up on their own. He takes the underground pass to Route 6, heads south, and goes to Vermilion City. Red talks to the locals and is gifted a fishing rod from a kind older man. Now, Morgan, I actually made this question for you. This podcast is going to be a little bit different, actually, in that I'm going to ask each of you guys personalized questions. Was this the beginning of your love for fishing in games, or did that love burgeon from elsewhere? No. But it was very, very close. I would say it reinforced it because I love fishing and it played into both that fantasy that I had of walking out into this world, catching monsters. I used to actually walk in my backyard and sort of imagine, like, what if I lived in a world where you could just catch and train mythological monsters? So it reinforced it. But the, it was like probably some Super Nintendo game I played with my dad as a kid that, um, like, some stupid bass fishing game or something like that. So I. Hmm. Not necessarily, but it definitely re- it, it, it reinforced it in an RPG way where I was like, you know what? You could do some cool stuff with this. Like, you can randomize fish that you're catching. Yeah. It's like putting a lot of ideas like that in my head, you know? Yeah. The fishing in this game was... Uh, I was so happy every time a new rod showed up in this game because, uh, honestly, the way the fishing was implemented was not the best because... Essentially, anywhere you fished, there was a pool you could get random Pokemon from with one rod, and then a slightly bigger pool if you had the next rod up, and then a slightly bigger pool than that once you had the next rod up above that, Um, which, frankly, was not—it's not the best system, but because of that, I ended up feeling ridiculously excited every time a new rod was given to me. because I could go back and find new Pokemon at every one of these fishing locations um, at that point. And you know what? It didn't happen to me personally, Josh, because I was too familiar with the game, but I bet there's people that caught a Magikarp and said, this looks like garbage, and stuck with it and got a a Gyarados. So um, (laughs) I had to do it. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) It's okay. I, I was hoping it was intentional. But I figured it was. Uh, so so that's one of the things where th- there was, like, some depth to it there. We're like, yes, the first rod sucked. You can only catch one trashy fish. But if you stuck with that joke fish, you could catch some else. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, Josh. I think it worked well within the confines of the game. I think it did. But yeah. it was, like, once you figured out you can only catch one dumb fish, you were like, okay, I'm not going to fish until I get a better rod. <laughs> so yeah, like it's it's one of those things. Like I, I fished everywhere with that stupid rod, and literally the only thing you could catch was Magikarp. 
with the old rod that you get at first. Mm, like, that was it. Rod. Like, there was no other options. And That's eventually you get a much bigger pool. Thing, but... though, right? like a classic yeah, it's really funny. Thing like, like... I, it sticks out in my mind because it's so yeah. strange. Like, just, it's, it's just a like silly in the face. mechanic. Yeah. Well, but think um, about it from a gameplay mechanic of, like, a teaser. Like, you show the player they can fish and what the mechanics are like, but it, mm-hmm. but then you slap them in the face by giving them a trashy Pokemon. <laughs> uh-huh. You've enticed them with the idea of it. So when yeah. they get that good rod, they're like, damn. Oh, no. Well, not just what, that. What like, I... you've, you've fought a lot of fishermen before at this point. Like, you know yeah. it's ostensibly something interesting enough that an entire trainer class would just be like, Man, I'm gonna fucking fish. I'm gonna I'm gonna catch me some Pokemon, and that's gonna be my team. Like it's can, it should be interesting all... enough. And then all you can catch is Magikarp, that no splash. Can, can we... <laughs> um, so like this should be interesting. Like and and like you're, you're curious about it as as the game goes on and you keep finding new rods. Like okay, maybe, oh, what what are this what is this old man? What is this old fisherman on about? Um, it works because the game is pretty easy. But we're talking about the narrative here. Can we at least address the fact that all these fishermen are using Magikarps and they're terrible? Like, there's like 30 fishermen so in that funny. game that have like a yeah, party they, of two Magikarp. Yeah, they like, why literally you... just use Splash against you over and over again. <laughs> You're like, what, what's and happening they here? have the unmitigated gall to challenge you. But, I mean... They have the unmitigated gall to challenge you. <laughs> I think that speaks to... <laughs> I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, though, of simply that... Yeah, it takes a while to to understand and use a Pokemon. I mean, it's it's kind of the whole thing of, you know, I, I've talked for the longest time about hating math. I hated math in junior high school. I hated math in high school. I hated math in college. And it's not that I actually hate math. It's that I don't understand a lot yeah. of aspects to it. And when I finally understand it, it's when I enjoy it. And I actually really enjoy math when I understand what the hell it is I'm doing. And so, like... I know yeah. this is kind of a weird tangent, but like with Magikarp, and I understand you were joking here, Morgan. Oh, I, I took this way more serious than you <laughs> intended it to be. But with like Magikarp, maybe you view it as like simply these fishermen are just trying to understand what the hell this Pokemon in is and what it does. They have faith that it's going to be able to do more than splash at some point, or they've yeah. heard rumors <laughs> and myths of the Gyarados well, that's that it's going to turn into. Yeah, yeah. And it's like being patient. Yeah, it's probably a mm-hmm. rumor. Yeah, they're probably like. Yeah, I heard yeah. Bob. Bob yeah, said but... he's evolved to a Gyarados. No fucking yeah. I mean yeah. I like that's a more fun way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But no, when I was writing this script, it was kind of funny because I was like writing and I got to this part and I was like, oh fuck, is this where Morgan first learned like of his obsession of fishing? I was <laughs> genuinely curious, which is why I wrote this question because I was like, I want to know this about Morgan. And uh, yeah. the short answer to that it's, for it's our listeners funny to go down that road. and to you and Josh, I know you got to pass it on to the rest of you guys. My dad was obsessed with fishing when I was little, and we lived in Florida, so we just fished a lot. It was just, my dad was a mm. avid fisherman, bass fisherman, and we lived on the beach and lakes and stuff. So even before video games, it was just a lot of fishing. That's cool, dude. I, you know, I want to share one really quick story. It has nothing to do with this, and then we'll move on. <laughs> Because you guys have gotten some tangents, so I want one tangent. <laughs> I remember um, my dad was stationed in Korea, South Korea, when I was four to five mm-hmm. years old, uh, when my parents were still married. And we had to live in Maryland for a year uh, because it was close to 
um, my father's family in cl- in case something uh, like my mother needed help raising me or anything like that. Uh, my my father's yeah. family was very close by. They lived in Virginia, next state over. Yeah, didn't want your mom and by I remember herself. My dad just having to put you know, if all of a sudden you were on your shit again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Shay's on his shit. Get your ass over. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, um, I remember my dad came back. He had he had uh, gotten a little break from being in Korea. I think he had gotten a like a month break. And I remember we, we were, when we were living in Maryland, we went fishing one time. And we went down to this, like, real swampy area. I, I don't remember too much about it. But I remember we're sitting there fishing. Where, like, we have our just poles in there. And then we see this snake just slithering down this tree trunk and start, like, gliding over the water. And my dad's, like, picking all this stuff up. And he's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And I was like, why? And he's like, that's a water moccasin. And I was like, oh, damn. I don't know what that is. I'm four years old, five years old. I don't know what the hell yeah, that is. And you guys know, that's a really poisonous or venomous fit, uh, snake. And so mm-hmm. he's like picking stuff up. He's like, grab your stuff. Let's get out of here. And then so we're running back to the truck. And it's like, it's like a breakneck speed. I'm like, I'm looking at my dad. I was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And he's like, don't say that. And I'm like, no, but we got to get the fuck out of here. I just keep saying that to him over and over again, just repeating what he said. Because, like, I see the desperation in his eyes. But that, mm. that is the first time I ever went fishing. Scarred <laughs> you for life. What is Scarred you for life. Oh, that's hilarious. That's terrible. That's fucking... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. I, I didn't remember, like... I remember that off and on throughout my life, and I, I haven't thought about that memory for years, so that actually reminded me of that. No, real life Ekans, uh, am I right? Did it? Yeah, let's... See. <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get back into the story. <laughs> so, Red also happens upon the Pokemon fan club, where after hearing a story from the president of the club, he receives a bike voucher. Redhead's... That's a weird sentence. Red heads to the SS Anne and boards it with his voucher. There, he battles multiple trainers in an effort to meet with the captain. Right before he reaches the captain, he must again battle and defeat his rival, Gary. He enters and meets with the captain, where he gives the sick captain a back rub to make him feel less queasy. In return, Red is given a useful item. Red returns to Vermilion City and uses the item to enter the electric gym. After defeating the leader, Lieutenant Surge, Red makes his way out of the city to Route 11. He runs into a sleeping Snorlax, preventing him from taking a necessary path. So Josh, when you were playing the first few gens of games, did it feel that running into more uncommon and rare Pokemon was much more meaningful to you? And if so, why do you think it, that is as compared to now? You know, now it doesn't feel as much of like a, mm. oh my God moment. But back then, to me, it really did. So I was curious if it did yeah. for you as well. No, no, it absolutely did. Um, I think part of that was just there being less of them in general. So anything new was more of a standout moment. Um, just, just from a pure logistic standpoint it makes sense but also i feel like they put more emphasis on it um like i was 
during the the gym portion that you know like you were talking about earlier i honestly don't remember much of the gyms in this game like other than them being just kind of general mazes and fighting random dweebs throughout but i remember basically every time a new pokemon showed up and it was Mm -hmm. like a big deal like i remember going to the ssn and all of a sudden all these trainers have arcanine like oh my god i've got to fight a fire type now um while I'm going through and rifling through the trash, trying to trying to find something for this captain who is just horribly unsuited for his job, being seasick all the time. Must have been scary um, for you as a grass type user. <laughs> no, I was a fire type user because I had sense and realized you're not going to get a fire type for the next forty hours in this game. Oh, well, I was um, pegged you for a Bulbasaur guy. No, like in the first gen, Charmander was the way to go. Just I'm trying to remember who I picked the first time, but like as far as you, you don't find any fire type forever in that in in the in the first game. Um, I don't. I think Arcanine is the first one you get a chance to catch, and that's like way way into the game, and he's like not particularly great at that point in the game. But anyway, yeah, I generally pick Charmander. Um, but, um, yeah, like seeing, seeing these new Pokemon show up, um, was a big deal. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like that, that, that Snorlax, Snorlax seems so much more magical when he's literally blocking a road to somewhere where you need to be. Um, yeah, like they didn't do a. Early on in these games, they did not do a great job of getting across the scale of these Pokemon you're catching. I feel like they kind of assumed you'd have knowledge from outside of the game or whatever. And I don't think they wanted it to be super scary either, first. Yeah, yeah, but... You don't want to know the idea of actually bite your head off. (laughs) mm -hmm, The idea of a Snorlax that was blocking a whole road was something that stuck out in the original game. Um even if the road was the same size of your body, but yes, exactly, um. exactly. Like I, I, I remember. I I never used that Snorlax, but I remember catching it and keeping it in a box for the entire rest of the game because it was such a impactful thing. That like this Snorlax thing. was the one that blocked my progress. It wasn't. I'm not gonna just go kill this well, Snorlax. I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch yeah. this thing. He's he's in my way. He's like it's an important part of my journey moving forward. I've gotta I've gotta catch this thing and have some sort of memory of it. Um, I used, it was it felt important. Yeah, I. That's that's one of the big things that like I, I want to kind of expand upon your point really quick, and then I'll throw it to you, Morgan is that back then everything was very very synergistic when you were experiencing pokemon like if you were playing the game you were playing the cards and you were most likely watching the anime obviously josh said that's kind of an anomaly 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 in his case um is that yeah he 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 wasn't watching the anime but i remember doing all three of those things at the same time and it really inf- reinforced 
um, <clears throat> certain Pokemon that were rare or certain Pokemon that were uncommon and like mm-hmm. how special it was to come across certain Pokemon. And it was so much so that there were even movies that mainstream people went and saw. I mean, like the first Pokemon movie was about Mew and Mewtwo and fucking that was a hit back in the day, you know, and yeah. that just that further reinforced how rare Mewtwo was or how rare Mew was. And it was such a big thing back yeah. in the day. Well, not uh, just even if you hadn't experienced all three and we're just talking about strictly the game. Mm-hmm. I th- Go ahead. Well, no, I'm just, Mewtwo is this even just in the game with the very limited story that it was telling in there. Mew felt like such Mewtwo felt like such a big deal in just the game like um yeah like that's that's yeah. one of the few the, points that they spend like there are there's like a whole dungeon kind of dedicated to Mew and Mew's not even in the game without you know like cheats to get there but like it's it's something yeah. they put time into put put effort into um in in the first game kind of leading up to this thing that like I cared about the movie, and I I was not someone who watched the anime at that point because, oh my god, they they're they're giving us more information about this you know crazy rare Pokemon that even I'm interested in after playing this game, right? Um, right, yeah, I, it's yeah that's a big part of it, and I think part of it too is um it's kind of like a twofold issue not a problem but an issue one is that the games back in the day were made much harder nowadays the games are i wouldn't say they're watered down but they're made more accessible and i think nothing is more apparent for that than the the amount of shinies you can get nowadays uh even back in gen 6 and x and y when Morgan, Fish, and I went through our farming phases trying to get shinies, like <laughs> even that was made easier. I I remember back in the day, I the first uh, one and two and Gen five, which would have been black and white. I never saw a shiny organically, never. That's how rare those Pokemon were, and it wasn't until Gen six to where you could kind of farm it that I saw my first shiny in person. Um, that I. What was the first one that you saw mm-hmm. in and person? I'm just curious. I don't even remember. No, uh, is it was the one that I traded to you for Drag Algae because I really wanted that Pokemon because I was really obsessed with it. I think I traded you one that you couldn't get in my version. I can't remember which what the name was at this point. It was some water Pokemon, but um, the and then we ended up trading each other for those. Oh yeah, but, was it? Yeah, yeah, I just the. The way that the games are more accessible now really, I think, has limited the feeling of coming across uncommon or rare Pokemon. But I also think it is, you know, being eight generations into this this series that it just unfortunately is going to feel a little watered down as a result. And I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just we've experienced this for as long as we have. Because even you think about something like Sword and Shield, they did a really good job of building up those two legendary Pokemon. Like, from the very beginning, I don't know if you guys remember this, when you Mm -hmm. leave your house and you go into the woods that are very 
misty and foggy you pretty much immediately encounter one of those legendaries and then you're learning about them and how they apply to that area's history throughout the entire game so it's not like they're not building it up i just think that um you know being eight generations deep kind of going through that cycle throughout the game over and over again you're like okay i know there's going to be legendaries at the end of the game what are they going to be am i going to get them and I I I think like so I think about Gen 1 which we're going to be talking about here shortly the the three bird legendaries those feel less rare than something like Mewtwo. Mewtwo is like mm-hmm. Mewtwo and Mew were the rarest of Gen 1. I think back to Pokemon uh oh, what would it be yeah XY. Uh the the Z Pokemon the the what is it the the bug Genesect I believe. No, no, Genesect is not. Um, no, that's a, not the Z Pokemon. That's I'm thinking about the Zyrogi or whatever, whatever it's called. It doesn't yeah. matter. But I think about Genesect, which was like the this ultra rare legendary from that generation, and just how cool it was and how that one was built up. Um, they still have those opportunities to do that, but I feel like with kind of what we mentioned before and what I just mentioned, that it doesn't they don't feel as rare and we have guides now that kind of make it easier for us to find what we're looking for, which kind of demystifies the whole process. Morgan, do you have anything else you want to add to that? No, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about that. Cause I think I had a little bit of a different experience. Like I, I never, f- they're limited. So they are rare. Like the, the birds Mewtwo and all the kind of stuff when there's a, when there's a gated number of how many you can get in the game being a one, or maybe two like Snorlax, they're they're rare for sure. But I never felt that they were as special to me because everyone, because you, everyone had a Mewtwo. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there was only one in the game, but like everybody who played the game could get a Mewtwo. So I never felt sort of drawn to the legendaries or the the one offs. I was that's how I got more into the shiny hunting um, because it was like yeah, I played Pokemon my whole life and never saw a shiny until the later generation. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, but my funny anecdotal. Very brief story is that the first time I played the game, I went through the first forest. What is it called? Ver- Vermilion for- Forest, I think. Uh, or Viridian Forest. One of the two. I can't remember. Um, and it's just a bug forest. Viridian. Viridian. Yeah, and you go through there and you just fight bug trainers, right? And I, I searched high and low. I got every item. I killed all the trainers. I caught all the Pokemon. And then I was in there for like an hour. And then my friend came over and he was showing me his Pokedex. And he, I was like, where'd you get that Pikachu? He's like, oh, just in the forest. I was like, what? I was in the forest for like an hour. I never saw Pikachu. And that was the first sort of fun, like, oh, randomization. Okay. Like, Pikachu mm-hmm. is rare. I got unlucky. He's not supposed to be that rare, but he's rare. And it's it's RNG. And that no, was sort of like. He was one of the very rare Pokemon. Unless you're spending a lot of time there, um, you'll, you're almost guaranteed to not see po- Pikachu your first time through that forest. Almost guaranteed. And I, and I didn't. And that sort of yeah. tickled my brain because I was like, oh, Pikachu's the mascot. He's on everything. But, like, yeah. in the actual game, you can straight up miss him. And mm-hmm. I think it was that big paradox between that they made the game and then somebody saw the Pokemon and made Pikachu the mascot. But in the game, he was this rare mouse that you weren't supposed to come across very easily. Um, and I thought it was kind of cool. So that was the first kind of tickling of my the rarity thing you guys have been talking about, more so than the the legendaries so um other than of course there is a way to get mew 
you can get Mew in those original games. Um, and I did it. I did it eventually down the road, and I always thought that was cool. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's. I agree with you, Shay. It's it's easier now to get shinies. There's tricks people use. Masuda method. There's a fishing trick in like some of the older generations that chaining. They call it chaining now. And that has sullied it a little bit. Not to mention people hack right. the shit out of them, and and trade those to each other. So, yeah, yeah. It's just it's kind of a different process now. Um, it's it's not necessarily better or worse. Uh, I think that you know us being a society now that looks for more instant gratification. That unfortunately, that pr- some of that that mystique or that wanderlust to catch some of those Pokemon is kind of lost on us now. But it also makes paves the way for things like accessibility, which is a great thing. And it means that I don't have to spend 40-plus hours trying to catch one Pokemon. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration and hyperbole, but yeah. you know what I mean. It's, it's nice not having to de- dedicate that many hours and time and that much time to just catch one Pokemon. Um, it's really nice. So Yeah. Um, speaking of rare Pokemon... Close to the snoozing Snorlax is a building inside its Professor Oak's assistant who gives Red the item finder. Red quickly makes his way through Diglett Cave and goes back to Route 2. He goes back to Cerulean City and exchanges his voucher for a bike. Now, I know you are a very, very avid uh, road racer, which is why I wanted to throw you this question, but Josh, was there anything better in those games besides finally getting the bike? Yes, bike, but Josh. barely. Say, fuck the bike. <laughs> I mean, the bike is great, and the, the the best thing about the bike was how you finally have a bike, and you get into battles with like bikers, motorcycle Pokemon <laughs> trainers, like like literal biker Pokemon S- trainers, which was so creepy. Just the a funniest thing to me. Battling a child on his bike. <laughs> So yeah, like they just roll up, and you're like, "It's like, no, you you, you look like a threat. I'm gonna have to make sure I put you in your place." So Let me use some poisonous. We, we, we own coffee. this section of Route Two. <laughs> then, yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> um. Anyway, we'll we'll get there eventually. So I don't want to like ruin it, but like I still the Pokemon Tower is still. I just have the mental. I have the mental image right now of like a gang of Hell's Angels rolling up and being like. Look at this little kid with his fucking Pikachu, and then just pulls out a. You got tassels on the end of your handlebars. I'm gonna kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Right, just just like a little. The little uh, the the wheels have little dittos on them Mm -hmm. or some shit. Yeah, Yeah. you get you get baseball cards in your Or you know when all your Pokemon are knocked out, you faint. It's like yeah, a bunch of creepy bikers using poison Pokemon on a child, and he faints. That's not it. That's not mm-hmm. an that's an appropriate sight. I think. Uh, that's why I, it always cracks me up when people say like Pokemon are kids games. It's like you don't know the implications that some of these things could really have. You know, yeah. um, you're not entirely wrong, but you're not entirely right either. So, but no, I just I I wanted to really quickly uh, mention that getting the bike is one of the most rewarding things in the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, unnecessary like, evil because you'd you would you would run into everything, but it was so fast. But it was so fast that you'd constantly like run into walls and bikers. It was kind of annoying, but it was like yeah, it was quick as shit. Th- that 
Yeah, and that was that was the limitation of the hardware. Very much so, you're right, because it's like yeah. you're moving through those narrow routes or routes. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. You're moving through those narrow routes, routes and uh yeah, you just bang on the walls a lot. Mm-hmm. I still remember there was I a pharaoh that, down dung, there. I mean yeah. dung. who doesn't like a nice, nice dung. bang. Every time you bump into a wall. Dung. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still, it was nice not no, having to move ha- at that snail pace. I have a better answer for you, Shay. At times. The best feeling in that game was getting Flash and not having to walk okay. through that dark fucking cave. That was the best for me. Because Flash... Really? Oh, That's pretty comparable as well. Really? Flash yes. and not Fly? Or getting Fly and not having to walk through all those roots all over I would always yeah. try to go through the cave without Flash like an idiot, and I would try to just use that tiny little bubble of light to get through it. Because I was just too lazy <laughs> to get flash, which it can be done, I think. So, God, that sounds it like can. Like, there's the there's nothing the like locking you to not doing it if you know the direction to go. You can and get random through, battles but, uh, to make your experience even more hellacious. So, yeah, try to remember Zubats, where you are after Zubats. you get out of that random battle. So. You hate Zubats more than you hate fucking Hitler at that point. An interesting comparison. I mean, I as a kid, know. you probably Whoa, don't have much that. of a frame of reference for hating Hitler. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, fucking Zubats. A little too far there, Morgana. But, uh, yeah, let's jump back in. He goes to Route 9 and accesses the Rock Tunnel, a place where he battles many trainers and catches more Pokemon. He comes out to Route 10, a small route leading to Lavender Town. There's not much... Red can do here besides learning of a missing townsperson, meet the name changer, and learns of a spooky cemetery tower full of ghosts. He leaves the town, passes through routes 6 and 7, and goes to Celadon City. Here, Red goes to a mansion where he meets digital versions of the Game Freak team. He also goes to the department store where he gets upgraded equipment. He plays some mini-games here for prizes. He heads to the gym to fight Erica, the leader of the Grass Gym. He then heads back to the game corner and finds Team Rocket's secret hideout. He defeats them all, receives an item that will allow him to safely pass through the cemetery tower, and then leaves. So, Morgan, I wanted to ask... How much of this did you remember? Because I've honestly forgotten a lot of the small plot points I just went over, and I was just curious if you remembered a lot of it yourself. All of them, and I fucking hated it. That was the one part of the game that I dreaded was going through those stupid puzzles in the Team Rocket lair. In the Giovanni fight was cool, but like you have to go, you have to find the poster, and you have to... It's just a pain in the ass. I hated that. Well, we're not at the Giovanni fight quite yet. Oh, not quite I thought yet. That was, That's a little bit later. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought. I, I yeah, I remembered all of it, but I just remember it being kind of like. No, he's he's a little bit more down the. He's more down the. I line. was a purist. I just like the the gems and the exploration. I wasn't. Whenever they tried to get all story heavy, I was like, meh. I'm not really into it. Um. But yeah, I actually remembered. I remember all of that for sure. Weirdly enough, but I played that game about 800 times. So I'm surprised. <laughs> Erica is the best gym leader. Entire game. The most frustrating. Too. Wow. That's the best. That is Bold the take right there. That is the best gym fight because it's just it's the, the balancing of it, given the point you are in the game. At, She's tough. In that yeah. section, that's that is one of the most um, just satisfying 
gym leaders to actually beat in the game. If you're Blastoise, she's a pain in the ass, let me tell you. It's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because I remember her using a vile plume that just poisoned the shit out of me Mm -hmm. and made me sleep. Razor leaf. And I was like, God, I don't like you, woman. Yeah, she was brutal. She was brutal. She's the first trainer that finally, basically throughout the game at this point, anytime any trainer has their Pokemon use anything other than attack, you're like, Hey, thanks. Thanks for the free turn where I get to attack you without anything happening to me in re- in response. And she's like the first trainer who's doing other weird stuff other than attacking you and it wrecks your shit. Yeah. Um and I and feel like that was a great by... introduction to the idea of, hey, you don't always have to just attack every turn. Yeah, just bulldoze um, everything. Yeah. And you have to find her by cutting this secret path and kind of going down into this town. You can't you can't get to her unless mm-hmm. you have cut and stuff. So it's kind of like nestled away. Yeah, she's a yeah. Bit, she's tough. But you were a fire type, so she you still sort of steamrolled her, I would think. Well, even so, like the poisons and stuff. Um, still kind of it's pain it's, in the it, it's a tough fight, even because again at that point you probably only have one fire type. It's not like you're specifically doing that to, you know, counter grass. Um, now imagine you're a kid and you're like me and you're an idiot and you have one Pokemon and it's Blastoise and it's level 50 and you're trying to... <laughs> did you guys ever do that try and roll through the game with one Pokemon with just sure. one? Oh, that'd be rough <laughs> no no I'm I'm the sort of person who by the by the time I get to the first town I've got six in my party and they're all you know pretty leveled up <laughs> that's funny yeah that sounds like torture trying to do something like that <laughs> all right we got a little well no we got a lot we gotta keep going <laughs> we got a lot more Jesus. than i thought we did damn all right red enters and battles the ghost pokemon to get to the top where he runs into jesse and james two members of team rocket after defeating them red finds mr fuji in exchange for his rescue he gives red the poke flute Red goes back to the slumbering Snorlax and wakes him up. Red battles with him and captures him. Afterwards, he heads to Saffron City, which has been taken over by Team Rocket. Before he defeats Team Rocket, he goes to the Dojo Gym and challenges the inhabitants. After defeating them, he is gifted a rare fighting Pokemon. So, Josh, one of the defining features of the older games was getting a Pokemon that was only available in one version of the game. And the only way to get a slightly similar Pokemon was to either have the other version of the game or trading for it through an antiquated mess of buying a separate cable and scheduling a time to meet with a person who had the opposite version of your game. Did you feel that this system was fun despite being exclusive or did it grate your nerves when you were younger? No, I don't think it mattered at all at that point. Um, honestly, the multiplayer on Game Boy was Pokemon. Like, that's the reason you buy the cable. Um, and so trading at that point, who cares? Like, you had it so you could battle somebody. It, like, that's why you had the thing. Um, it's a little awkward, but... 
I mean, it, it worked fine. Like, it worked well enough that they continued to use it for th- two more generations after that. They even put a fucking RF connectivity thing in later gens. They're like, hey, you can totally just use this without a cable. And you just have to hold completely still right next to your friend. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Kids are going to do that. The cable worked well enough. Um, I am sure I still have like two or three of those cables somewhere around here. I, I just I need to go track them down because um, they are just such a integral part to gaming during that generation. The, the Game Boy cable is one of the most important things to come out of that entire generation. Um, so I, I am, I am, I am right. down with it. Um, interesting Morgan. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like, as far as like joking about everything being didactic earlier, they really <laughs> on, on, on a, on one level, it's, it's a money thing. You know, if your friends, if you have a link cable, then your friends are all buying the game, which means more people are playing it and spending money and Nintendo wants that money. So it's smart, but in reality, it's also like you could look at it like maybe you're subconsciously wanting people to get together and be friends. Cause you know, when the game was invented, the, the inventor of Pokemon said that, you know, he, once they started building cities over these areas where he used to catch bugs and grass and stuff like kids, like in Japan, like a lot of those areas where kids would grow up and go outside and catch bugs and beetles and hang out together were overrun by all these new, you know, skyscrapers or, or apartment complexes or what have you. Um, and this sort of brought that, his whole focus was to bring that idea of like bug catching and stuff to a video game. So yeah, the link cable was important for that, but it also ended up being really brilliant financially and brought a lot of people together. Yeah. One thing I will say on that point, Morgan, is uh, you guys will be happy to know, granted it's dwindled in popularity, as I'm sure you can imagine. I still, every few months, I'll be driving or walking or riding a bike, doing something, and I will see a child running around with a net trying to catch bugs or multiple children. And honestly, it warms my fucking heart every time I see that. I never see that Um, in America. It's cute. I remember a few years back. uh, Yeah, no. um, I, I remember I was riding my bike to the train station from work. This was two years ago. It might have been... Yeah, it was a little over two years ago now. And I'm riding my bike um, behind my school, and I would pass through some rice fields to get to the next area. Um, And I remember two of my students out there just looking at bugs one day. They were just, like, picking bugs, and I just stopped for a minute, and I was like, what are you guys getting there? Like, oh, we're just looking at bugs. And I was like, (laughs) that's so fucking cool. They're junior high school students, too, which I was really surprised about, but... um, it's still a thing here, um, yeah, and it, ma- cool. it warms my heart because, yeah, like you're saying, it gets people out and gets people learning about the world, and it especially warmed my heart here knowing when they become adults, how far removed they are from mm. that shit, like, especially living in the city. They're so far removed from nature and everything, and I, I guess you could say that about any country's big cities. Yeah. I totally get that, but... Yeah. um with with a country that has a long standing culture and tradition on nature uh and appreciating nature 
to see like even in the past few years that I've been here, them slowly moving away from that, which is so in- integral into their culture and their history. It's kind of disheartening to see. So when I yeah. see moments like that, it really, really, really warms my heart uh, as a just an innocent bystander observing their culture. Yeah. And Hon- just in general. So Honestly, I feel like an awful lot of that is in the States. I'm not going to go into other cultures, but in these States is not so much the helicopter parenting itself but the idea of if you're not you're neglecting your kid in the states um like if you see a kid out playing by themselves oh my god where's their parents um this is horrible um which is no just like let the fucking kid go play um i was i was thinking about that to myself here just now that when i was a kid Growing up in the in in the South, literally fucking everything was poisonous. Growing up in in the U.S. Southwest, fucking everything. Um, but we'd still go catch bugs and whatnot. Like go under this log. Like okay, you can catch that, that, and that. You leave that black widow alone. You leave it alone, it'll leave you alone. And that was like how I grew up. The idea of letting a kid go pick up a log, and you know, just trusting them to not poke the Black Widow these days would get your kids taken away, which is fucking stupid. Like, like my mom it's trusted me to not touch the Black Widow, um, and that was just fine. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of feel like we've lost a lot of that. It's... Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. One thing I would say when comparing somewhere like Japan and America, too, is Japan doesn't have that many venomous insects. Like, it has the mukade, which is the giant centipede um, that a lot, a lot of households have troubles with in, in the countryside. Um, there aren't too many other ones. I mean, there are a few venomous snakes here, not that many. The U.S. definitely has a lot more problematic insects and... Uh, reptiles and um, mammals. Yeah, there. that could so be part of it. Too. I, I understand, like some of the concern. Yeah, I, definitely, definitely. Um, they're not. I don't. From my recollection, I could be wrong on this, so please don't quote me. I don't think there is a venomous spider here that is life threatening. Because um, I looked it up. Because I remember seeing uh, one time at my school, and we'll get back on track here in a second. A a spider about the size of a baseball not like the body but just including the legs and everything and i was yeah. like uh what the fuck nobody told me i live in australia all of a sudden and i was talking to one of my my co-workers and he's like oh it, it's not gonna hurt you yeah and i was like i don't give a shit that thing's massive <laughs> and then like i'm not kidding guys he just bends down picks the thing up and he looks at it and he's like oh okay and then just sets it outside like nothing Holy. i was like you are a god, sir, because I would not touch that. Nope. I would not touch that thing. Not, but like, yeah, he do you have roaches in Japan? Do you have cockroaches in Japan? Yeah. Fuck that, no, Do you have cockroaches yeah. in Japan, so, Shay? Anyways. They have, yeah. Ugh. Dude, yeah. That's their biggest fear here. Those live everywhere. average Japanese yeah. person's biggest fear. They're just gross. They're nasty, yeah. Dude, yeah, they're, mm-hmm. 
they don't bother me that much, but I mean, the the biggest thing there is when you kill them, they set they set off these uh, pheromones yeah. that basically attract more. Yeah, I don't know Why? if you've noticed that. Like, we talked about this on the other they... day on the show about how bitter they smell. If you ever smash one, it's like a million times worse because they just they smell that much stronger. What's like, the, to the purpose point where you can... of the the scent bringing more cockroaches in? Why do they want to do that? I don't think it's intentional. Um, I think it's more you're just doing it by accident. Oh, it's not like just, a biological thing. It's just like, oh, they smell a weird smell and they'll realize it. Well, no, it's like they can sp- I don't, it's I don't think smell. it's a re- I don't think it's a biological response to bring more in because in theory you'd want to do the opposite. If you're like, "Oh, this one's dying, I'm going to want to yes. set off a scent yeah. to do the opposite." I you think know, it's just theory. that they don't release sure. them all on their no. own because that would be a waste of energy and you're just kind of forcing them to release all those they make it, but it's not released until they need to. That's kind of dark that if you smash one, it attracts yeah. more of them in yeah. accidentally. <laughs> if you think about it. It's like, guys, uh-huh. you smell that? Let's yeah. go over here. Yeah. Let's go over here. They're, oh, the, they're one of the ultimate pests. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Okay. <laughs> Let's jump back in. <laughs> we still got some to go. Red heads into self-company. After making it through the offices, he runs into, <gasps> you guessed it, Gary. After Red makes short work of him, he heads upward and meets Giovanni, the leader of Team Rocket. After defeating Giovanni, Red is gifted a Master Ball. Red finally gains access to Saffron City Gym and fights the psychic leader, Sabrina. He leaves Saffron City and heads to Route 12, where he picks up the Super Rod. Red battles his way through routes 13 through 15 to get to Fuchsia City. Red heads to a house on the outskirts of the Safari Zone where he meets the Warden. He can't understand the Warden because the Warden is missing his teeth. Red goes into the Safari Zone and locates the teeth. He brings them back to the Warden, who rewards Red with an item necessary for a future gym. Back rubs, missing teeth, fighting evil organizations. Josh, what the hell were we playing as children? Oh my god. No, I still, I've, this bugged me as a kid even. The idea of Giovanni somehow, it seemed like it was an open secret. Like he's obviously in charge of Team Rocket, but he's still allowed to be a gym leader and everything. Like, that bugged me as a kid, and, like, I get it now, because literally 100% of our politicians are involved in some shit now. Like, it's like, okay, no, I get what they were doing, but, like, as a kid, I'm like, no, there's no way. There's no way the leader of Team Rocket would possibly be a gym leader. I'm like, oh, no, no, he'd be he'd be a gym leader. Um, um, yeah. But, yeah, like, as a kid. I specifically remember thinking, oh my god, I can't believe one of the gym leaders is is the leader of Team Rocket. Like, they, they wouldn't let that happen. They wouldn't let him have any sort of power. I'm like, yeah, nope, cool. nope, they, they would. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I overthought that as a yeah. child way too much. It, it's kind of weird. Didn't think about Anything about the back rubbing or finding someone's missing teeth as a chi- child would be weird. 
for another yeah, me child neither. to I do. Don't, I don't think I even gave it a second thought. I was just like, oh, silly video game. But yeah, now that I think about it, giving a guy a back rub to have him feel better is a little bit strange. Um, but again, <laughs> there's Nintendo putting their pushing their morals on me. Yeah. You should make people feel better by giving them, you know, be a good Samaritan and give somebody a back rub. It's like, all right, fine. I'll do it. Um <laughs> Video games, it's just the spirit of video games back then was just so silly and fun. It's just, games can try and replicate that now, but it was just the spirit of, you know, video games for children at the time and video games in general was captured in goofy shit like that. You had to find the, like you said, the finding the warden's gold teeth in the Safari Zone and how cool oh the God. Safari Zone concept was. It was like in a game about catching monsters. Zone. Yeah, it was in a game about catching monsters. It was like a zoo where you could go specifically to catch monsters, and it was timed, so you'd run out. It was just, like, incredibly ingenious, yeah. you know? Yeah, like, I, I mentioned this before. We were talking about Abra, but the idea of, again, changing up how you catch Pokemon with the Safari Zone mm-hmm. was just really cool to me. And the idea of, like, oh, man, I've, I've got to rethink how I do this again. Um and I, I, I love the Safari Zone in the original Like hidden stuff games. behind the numbers. Like, didn't you always wonder, like, how many rocks can yeah. I throw at this thing before it runs away? Because it's always different, you know? Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's hop back in. Fuchsia City Gym is headed up by Koga, a poisonous or a poison gym leader. After defeating the gym... Red heads back to Safari Zone to capture more Pokemon. He passes through routes 18 through 16, in that order, with relative ease, and comes across the power plant. He goes to the northwest part of the plant and meets his first legendary Pokemon, Zapdos, and he catches it. So as a very quick aside, no explanation necessary, because we still got a lot of story, um, I want to know, who is your favorite of the three? Zapdos, Articuno, and Moltres. Morgan, go. Zapdos. <clears throat> Thank you. Josh. Mm. I feel like I feel like Moltres is the only wrong answer. Moltres was ugly um, as shit with that original graphic style. Oh my god. Well, yeah. Well that and he served no yeah. purpose. Like he was in, Zapdos, I could see a reason for at that point, especially because Pikachu was really hard to get in the original game. So it's like that's one of the best electric type Pokemon you would have found yeah. at that point. Um, but other than that, right. Articuno, I, I I was an Articuno fan. I like I really liked the Ice types, and yeah, that was that was my jam. Yep. Articuno, Articuno jam. was my favorite as well as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yep, easy, easy pick there. Red leaves the plant and passes <laughs> through Route 19 to get to the Seafoam Islands, where he encounters and captures his second legendary Pokemon, Articuno. Going through Route 20, he lands on Cinnabar Island. Red meets scientists who turn his old fossil he acquired into an ancient Pokemon. He goes into the Pokemon Mansion to get the key to the Cinnabar Island gym. Red enters the gym where he faces Blaine and his fire Pokemon-wielding henchmen. Red quickly leaves through Route 21 to Viridian City for his last gym battle. The gym is open, and Red enters to see Giovanni, the Team Rocket leader and ground gym leader, inside. 
So, before we do the mad dash that we usually do to the end, Morgan, which of these eight gyms was the most memorable for you and why? You know, it's funny that we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think Erica was the most memorable for me because I hated it so much. Um, <laughs> but I always thought the concept of Lieutenant Surge being like a war veteran that his life was saved by a Pikachu. I remember being a kid and just being like, that's weird. Like, is a there's like war in the Pokemon world? And this, yeah, that's weird because he was, you know, it was very clearly he was in the military. I just remember thinking that was interesting. And then, of course, you dug around a bunch of trash cans. So, you know, that's all. <laughs> yeah, those two are my favorite. But Erica was the most memorable mm. to me because I was a Blastoise user and it was hell. Yeah. Fair enough. Josh? I mean, I already mentioned it earlier. I, I love Erica as a gym leader. I feel like the fire gym is the only one that really is comparable as far as like a challenge because fire type is it's just a really rare type in the original game and because of that having to fight through an entire gym full of fire type is just rough like that's just there's not a really great solution for getting through there like other than just having a ton of water types which even then it's it's not great cuz the fire types are good in gen 1 um just... i think it's just your memory because with blastoise it was boring actually yeah but like Which I, is anyway funny, but like <laughs> I, like the grass and the fire are like the only gems that really stood out i mean the poison one also stood out because it's a joke after the grass type because the grass type uses a bunch of fucking poison moves and so I got to that gym like, didn't I already do this? Didn't I already do this type? I've gotten poisoned by a gym leader before. Yeah. And then I get to the poison type, and it's just a pushover. Um, oh, but in the fire gym, they ask you questions about yep. Pokemon trivia. Remember that? Wasn't that cute? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, and this is going to be kind of a generic answer i can't separate the anime from the game in this mm. so really to me brock and misty the rock gym and the water gym are the most memorable misty. for me because like the others i have vague memories of but those two just they're so vivid and clear in my mind and that's because a i played through the beginning of the game a lot but also yeah, because of sure. the anime yeah so yeah all right, Mad Dash, guys, here we go. Dun, dun, dun. After defeating Giovanni, Red must battle Gary one final time. Red defeats his rival and heads to Victory Road. He battles some of the strongest trainers in the, Ca- I was going to say in the English way, the Kanto region. He also comes across the third legendary bird Pokemon, Moltres. He captures Moltres and heads to the Indigo Plateau to meet the final four. First is Lorelei, who wields water Pokemon. Next comes Bruno, with his fighting and rock Pokemon. Third is Agatha, with her ghost and poison Pokemon. Mm. Last is Lance, with his team of difficult dragon Pokemon. Red defeats the final four. But wait! Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 
dun, dun, dun. Who shows up? But good old Gary. Gary. Red faces off against his rival one last time before being crowned champion of the Kanto region. This rolls the credits on the game, but there is one more legendary Pokemon that Red must acquire to complete his Pokedex. And guys, we've made it. We have reached the end. I only have two final questions before we wrap up this episode. Josh, what is the fondest memory that you have with this game? Mm. I think you kind of already told us, but I don't know if there's another one that supersedes that. I mean, I've got so many. I played this game over and over again as a kid. Um, and then even when I wasn't playing it over and over again, like I would, you know, I think my like my final save of it when I, you know, cared about having a good team or whatever. Um, like I still went through and just tried to find everything in the world. Um, like the Pokemon Tower with all the ghost types is just, it's really hard to beat. Uh, as far as an area goes, because the music is so strong in that section. The theming is so strong by having everything being, you know, not everything, but almost everything being ghost type and having it, it, it works like it works um, narratively and thematic, like everything about it kind of comes together to make just a really strong impression. Um. Like I, th- I think as far as the game as a whole, I remember that section, that and the ridiculous, so many of the routes leading up to that are just like the most straightforward. Like here are a bunch of trainers that you can't possibly avoid. You're gonna fight a ton of trainers on the way to this, which like, not the best gameplay wise, but it's really memorable after the fact. Like. Or, like you can see them you know they're coming and having to go into those fights um is memorable but Ugh. yeah La- lavender town and the and the pokemon tower I think are just set. like my my favorite i just i, I love that section yeah. of the game um i mean like o- other than that i probably have the fondest memories of having a level 255 Nido King, because I'm I'm a dirty, dirty cheater. Yeah, you dirty bastard. Mm-hmm. The funniest thing about that was, you however, they programmed the art to be synced up to the data. There, you'd end up with a bar that went all the way across the screen and then like looped around <laughs> in order to to show yep. <laughs> that much health. <laughs> It was the dumbest That's thing amazing. ever. It was so dumb. Really I remember amazing. that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair. You, there's there's some there's some good moments there. Morgan, what was your most your your <laughs> fondest memory of these these? As games? amazing as all Find the missing them. no stuff was. Um, yeah, I just remember there was this night where my friend was. I was gonna mention that too, no actually. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, I can, I'll keep it pretty succinct, but I I never forget this for whatever reason. I had a good friend who lived on a military base, and he was moving, 
and we said our goodbyes. It was very emotional. And the next day, he showed up back at my house, and his dad was there, and he had this sort of issue with his deployment, and he had to take care of, um, or it was a family issue, I think, or something serious happened, and his dad had to leave for a couple of days. So it was like saying goodbye to your best friend, and then the next day they show up, and they're like, actually, he needs to stay at your house for like another day because something serious happened. And we were like, dude, this is amazing. It's like one more goodbye, you know? So we hung out all day, and about 9 o'clock at night, we were sitting around, and we we're like, dude, let's play some Pokemon. And I had two Game Boys, and we started like kind of talking to each other. It was like, oh, I'm going to fucking get a Blastoise, dude. And I bet you, you know, over the course of tonight, we'll see who can level up the fastest, and then we'll battle tomorrow. And I remember we just stayed up till like 4 in the morning playing Pokemon and talking, and the next day I destroyed him because uh, he was a fool. <laughs> He was a fool and he went for Charizard despite his best attention. He was a fool. Um, but yeah, I just, it was just a, yeah, that's just a memory that sticks out to me, but you could really grab any of them. It's just one of those kind of games, so. I'll go with that one. Well, there we go. You making your fr- your friend feel like a fool. I like it. Very bold of you, Mr. Thank Morgan you. Barnes. Um. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to mention uh, getting 99 rare candies with uh missing number and just leveling up all my Pokemon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, that's not real. Um, I think my fondest memory, honestly, is catching Mewtwo with the Master Ball because that really felt like the culmination of this really amazing journey that you go on like you spend hours and hours grinding out your pokemon mm-hmm. um you spend all this time in these towns talking to all these people liberating them from team rocket defeating gary way too many times because he's an insufferable little piece of shit um taking on the final four and the final four is super memorable the fight with agatha is probably yeah. my second most memorable and fondest memory i love the fight yeah. with agatha um mm-hmm. But yeah, you get through all of this stuff and you become the leader. You've complete, almost completed your Pokedex. And the final thing you have to do is being admitted into the cave to go capture Mewtwo. And that might even also be tied in with the movie, just how memorable that is for me, that final scene. I think that's part of it. Yeah. But I think the biggest part of it is just like you, when you've caught Mewtwo and you have your team and you beat everybody, you've done everything that is you're closing the door that's the last thing you have to do i mean you can go you take mewtwo and run around and just destroy everybody i mean yeah. i guess you can do that too but <laughs> at that point you're done yeah and um i think that was that's the thing that sticks out the most for me yeah i feel like that last cave works really well because i think they show that to you before you can get into it I, i'm i'm god it's been ages but i i distinctly remember them being like oh no no you can't yeah. go in here not until you're the you know the champion like it's way too dangerous in here um and then you you know you finish the game you're like oh oh i can i can go in that cave now um then you do and you finally catch that mewtwo that it's 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 a really good ending to your journey at that point and uh also i think mewtwo is like the highest level thing in the game by almost what like 15 20 levels i don't think there's anything higher than like level 55 in the game it's level 70 yeah. if i remember yeah mewtwo is 70 but i don't think there's, there's anything else close to it even like i think it's so fire so far no. higher than everything no. else even the final fours 
Even the final fours Pokemon aren't that high level. I think the highest level is uh, the level 65 dragon Pokemon. Yeah, which is yeah the, like the last fight you fight. I think it's the Dragonite that mm-hmm. you have to fight against. It's, just, the idea it's that... so ridiculously strong it... at that point that it's just it feels like such a great ending to your journey. I love um, the idea that the only thing standing between you when you were like with your level 6 Pokemon and the most legendary Pokemon in the entire world was some bodyguard in front of a cave. <laughs> Just some guy <laughs> who says, oh, you beat the Elite Four, I guess I'll take off. It's just funny mm-hmm. to me. So video gamey. Yeah, it really it is. It is kind yeah. of funny in a way. It's just, it kind of adds to the absurdity of the entire journey. Yeah. yeah. Well, not just, well. <laughs> I remember doing that and then going back home at that point because the game gives you this feeling of like you can visit back home long before then but this you know kind of feeling of oh i've i've done everything now um and and hitting yeah. back home for the last exactly. time exactly just felt really satisfying just just flying back there and heading up to my own room and uh, and playing some super nintendo i think it was a super nintendo god it's been forever i think you had a super nintendo at your at your tv in the original game it's god it's been forever um, I, I wouldn't be surprised the amount of self-filating that Nintendo does. Yeah, they always have a console there. High. I'm pretty sure it was a Super Nintendo in the original game, but it's been so long that I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd have I'd have to go check it out. But um, yeah, it's, it's really yeah. satisfying. Well, let's end the show with the same question that we always ask at the end of these shows. It feels a little weird asking this question. But it's customary around here, so I'm going to do it. Morgan, do you recommend this game? In a modern sense, I I haven't played it in so long. I have no idea how much I would enjoy it now, but it always makes my top four list of video games ever. I think it's just brilliant all the way through. So really the only fault I have with it, phenomenon, brilliant, perfect game, is that the reward for getting 150 Pokemon sucks. And that's one thing that I think they fucked up because I think that all kids work so hard to get that stupid certificate and it was just incredibly empty. Um, but yeah, it's magic. I would, I would love to play it again one of these days and see how what holds up and what doesn't. So, yes, with the caveat of you need to play it again so you know if it's... <laughs> Yeah, when we deal with older, when we do these retro games, it's tough because it's like so important and pivotal, but it's also incredibly dated. So would it hold my attention now long enough to get through it? And yet it's probably my top three or four favorite games ever made. So just have to keep that stuff. It's a a tricky question to, to answer. Yep. Yep. Josh? Do you recommend the, these? Well, this game or these games, however you want to look at it. Um, it's very simple. Uh, the game is. I feel like at this, I, I don't think there's a reason to go back on Pokemon games, unless you are already a fan. Like if you if you pick up the latest Pokemon game, and it's your sort of thing absolutely go back through and and play some of the older games because there's a ton of good old good ideas that get kind of 
Pokemon is a weird thing where they will have amazing ideas in one generation and like do some really cool things with them and then just drop it. And then like the core concept is always the same. It's, it's, it's really basic. Um, No, I I don't recommend it unless you are a Pokemon fan. Play the latest gen, see if it's your thing. At which point, absolutely go back and see more. But it is it is the sort of series that has been improved upon and made more enjoyable in a lot of ways. Basically, every generation. Like I I don't really mm. think there's been a generation that's been worse than the one before it. Like with like with like one maybe two exceptions, um. You know what? Actually, I, just, I don't feel. I, yeah, okay. Josh, I don't mean to piggyback and, and jump in there, Shay. I'll be very quick about this, but I, I, I'll change my answer. I think I'm overthinking it. I think when you have games that are this pivotal and part of history that you care a lot about, you should still experience it, even if you however long you end up sticking with it. it I don't think it matters. I think if you haven't played this game. You should. You got to see what it's about because it was more than a game. It was a phenomenon, and yeah. So I would say definitely for sure. Yeah, if for nothing else than the oh. getting into the the battle music in the original Pokemon is the most insane thing. That was my fault. Like it. It makes yeah. no sense. It make it is it is crazy. It yeah. is completely fucking insane music, and it's some of the best music ever written. The yeah. the original battle yeah. theme. Just we didn't getting talk about into the music combat. in the game. It's 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 great. Um, and done on a Game Boy, like it's 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 yeah. nuts. Uh, um, so from that standpoint, oh. yeah, like you you should. You just gave me an idea. Look up a YouTube video of the the battle music from Pokemon Red and Blue. Like it's it's really really cool stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll make my answer very very brief. Yes, I do. I think you should play this game. Uh, even if you have played this game, play it again. Uh, the <laughs> only caveat I would put there is, if you can, I'm not endorsing a legal activity. Um, you can always buy the game digitally just to show your support and then just find an emulator and play it. That way you can fast forward through some of the slow stuff, fast forward through some of the battle and the grinding because I, I don't endorse grinding for the sake of grinding anymore granted we talked about it had a place and a purpose back in the day um i don't believe it has a purpose in 2021 um i but i still think that the game is really fun and enjoyable and if you can do away with some of that grindy nature to it it's still going to be a great game you know um we did we did a we did a chomping after dark on final fantasy 8 um which i love that game very much I think it's a very fun game. I think it's a game that people should still experience because there's a fun and interesting story there. But I also said the same thing there. If you can get the remastered edition where you can speed through a lot of the uh, yeah. the lulls in the game because it was a product of the time, then yeah, it's absolutely worth going back to. And I, I agree with Morgan. It, it, it was such a phenomenon that I think everybody should have at least some point of reference yeah. to this game. Even if you play the first 10 hours and then you're like, this is not for me. That's great. At least you have a, have a point of reference for why this game was such a phenomenon when it first dropped in 1995 in Japan. Yeah. And, like, there's uh, so many weird things. Like, I was mentioning before, like, they, they fixed in later gens that were just 
was just frustrating things that had to do with the grinding in this original thing. Like, Pokemon didn't get experience unless they were involved in a battle, which meant in this original gen, and for generations and generations afterward, you put your weakest piece of crap Pokemon first in your list. And then as soon as the battle started, you'd switch them out to one that actually did something. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that was the only way you'd ever level up on a low-level yeah. Pokemon. Like, you, there's no other possible way to accomplish it. Um, which wasted your time in every random battle you got in until you started leveling up that Pokemon enough to actually do combat. Um, and that's just, like, we... No one told you to do that. You figure that sort of stuff out on your own as a kid, which again was really cool problem solving stuff that you had to you know figure out on your own as a kid. It's really neat at the time. It's it's a waste of time now. Um, so Agreed. yeah, like yeah. it's it, anyway. Anyway, it's absolutely worth seeing just as an artifact at this point, um, and absolutely worth playing. If you're a fan of the series, like playing through, so an artifact, maybe a fossil, if you will. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't. Can you guys hear the background right now? It's not too bad in the. Okay. Are your neighbors having sex? Uh, I don't know why they decided to bring that truck like around towards it. the end of the show. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are our thoughts about Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow, um, a game that really affected each one of our childhoods in a very similar yet profoundly different way. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the beauty of these games is that it was such a world phenomenon. And a big part of that was because you truly felt like you were a part of something yet you could blaze your own trail from it. And I think that's kind of one of the big metaphors about this game um, for life is we're kind of all in this struggle and this journey together. And sometimes it can be dark. Um, Sometimes it can be weird, like rubbing a stranger's back to get information that you need. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're all in it together and we all have to find our path to blaze to make this world and to make our lives our own. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> enough of the gas station. Are you philosophy. high now too? <laughs> so, um, that's going <laughs> to, I'm so fucking high right now, man. I'm so fucking really high. Spiraled into no. a, a um, speech there. I'm not high. It's all illegal in Japan. Just so we're very much aware. So you guys Follow don't get me arrested dreams, here. Kids. Um, no, I have not done any kind of drugs. I'm just saying, man, if you look at the fourth letter of Snorlax, I, it's an R. And if you look at the curvature of it, it's actually similar <laughs> to the shape of Giovanni's chin. Are they the same person? I don't now know. You can tell we're really losing our minds. I've, I had the most beautiful 10-second way to, to end this, Shay, and I think you'll appreciate this. If I look at the impact this game had on okay. me, yeah, go if for I look it. at the impact this game had on me as a kid, me and me as an adult to the point where you can see a glowing blastoise behind me on the wall. I could probably safely say this is the most influential game of my entire life. 
And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's a very fair thing for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I yeah. Couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm not going to say anything to that. I just am going to say simply. It's trash, and I don't recommend thank it. Thank you, so. Josh, for being here. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Morgan, for being here. Um, and uh, I was your host, Shay. And thank you to you, the listener, for being here and supporting us and listening. Uh, we will be back with the next episode. We're going. Rich and I are going to be embarking on a trilogy of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very lengthy trilogy, and uh, I'm really excited. The, the The other two guys don't even know what? we're doing this trilogy. Rich and I have been talking about doing it for a few trilogy. months now. Um, it's something that room one, two, and three. I have a feeling is going to be very in depth. It's uh, it's actually going to be Shenmue. One no, you liar. Uh, no, but um, <laughs> I'm really excited. I so be on the lookout for that. Hundred forty-five hours. Be... Are you serious? Are you being serious right now? I I I don't know. I don't. <laughs> the, the the trilogy that we're going to be doing is going to be very very in depth, and I I don't know how long the episodes are going to be. Or how in depth they're going to be, but it's going to be really oh, fun. Okay, it's not Shen. No, it's not Shen. I'm joking. Scared me. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, just, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing it now. Uh, all I will say is, um, top secret. It's a dangerous business. Heading out your door. That's all. That's the only hint I'll give you. Huh. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care. (laughs) Or don't.